This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. Today on the show, we have Alex Sidorinko, and usually I will do the introduction of someone and kind of give their background, but Alex is so extensive that actually I just told him, look, you <laughs> you do it. So the first minute or so is Alex doing his intro. I will say that Alex is not even probably, he's one of the most influential folks in the world relative to risk management. Uh, this episode's probably going to maybe flip your world upside down um, a little bit. We usually try to edit these down a little bit. Usually it's cutting out me in my, my opinion. Um, but from like the very jump, Alex starts talking about risk management in his day-to-day life. Um, he, he tells it and you'll hear it, but I ask, you know, what else are you into? Like, what do you do on the weekends? What are your hobbies? And he was like, I don't, what do you mean? It's, it's risk management. <laughs> it's like, yeah, what do you do? And he's like, my whole life is just risk management. So uh, from the very beginning, uh, that's how this show started. All right, I'm going to mention a lot of resources that Alex mentions. You won't get any CPEs for these resources uh, that I know of, um, but I guarantee you'll get more from these resources than you will from probably any other CPE resource, any other kind of session or, or webinar or anything like that. So I highly recommend uh, checking these out, if nothing else, going through all of them and going like, I don't have two weeks to go through all this, uh, might even take you longer, but these are the ones that, that I'm interested in. So be sure to check out some of those. Uh, you're probably going to get offended. Uh, probably even get a little pissed off. I highly recommend just keep listening. Alex does mention a couple different times that risk management is highly complex. It's highly mathematical. You basically have to be a stats person to really uh, be good at risk management and that it's inaccessible. Uh, it's not easy. And so one of the things he's, he's working to do is to make it easier. And so if you think about the way I, I, I was thinking about this was, you know, years and years ago, if you want to do analytics, you basically had to know how to write code or scripts. And then tools came out with a, an interface to make a little, a, you know, where you could click on things and make it a little easier. Um, but really still, if you wanted to kind of harness the power of analytics and automate those things, you still had to know how to write scripts, but it still got a little easier. And now there's drag and drop tools and what's called low or no code type tools. And so that process of doing data analytics has gotten easier. I feel like that's what Alex is working towards relative to risk management. All right. So on to the resources. If you Google best risk management books, you'll get a list from Alex's blog. By the way, Alex's blog is at Risk Academy. That's riskacademy.blog. Um, but it, you'll you'll see an article that he's written. He updates it every year. I didn't see one for 2021, but there is one for 2020. It's got 16 books on risk management. He breaks that into a couple different categories. So I believe the first one is all about the quantitative side of it. So that may or may not be your thing. Um, and then there is also a section on, I, I don't know, maybe something that's a little more palatable. Um, so I know in, in looking through it, the book thinking fast and slow was in there. And I know that's one that you'll see at, you know, like the, the airport, you know, bookshop or whatever. It's, it's, it's one of those types of business books. So, uh, check out that there's a link in the show notes to that. Uh, if you Google free risk management book, uh, it'll, It'll take you to the Guide to Effective Risk Management 3.0. That is Alex's book. Again, it's free. 
It's only like a hundred pages. It's hardly a book. It's more of a, I don't know, fantastic resource. Um, and, and there's checklist of things to do and how to implement some of these ideas. And, you know, Hey, after you've done this, check the box, Hey, I'm done with that and move on to the next step. So it's, it's, it's really, really good resource. There's also a link to the conference that Alex hosts uh, every year. This is year number five, I believe. It's called Risk Awareness Week. It's five days. There's over 30 speakers. Um, some are free. So I think you can get like up, you can pick three sessions for free. Uh, Norman Marks has been there every year. If you're familiar with Norman, he was, he's been on the show before. A fantastic resource. Uh, his books uh, are fantastic also. Um, he's been there, uh, I believe, every year, and, and I, I saw him on the lineup this year. Uh, but you can pick three, I believe, for free and attend those. Uh, you can also, I think it's only like 150 bucks for like the full conference, and you get all the replays and, and everything that kind of comes with that. One thing I like especially about this conference is that Alex tells the presenters, hey, there needs to be, at the end of your session, there needs to be a link to download a model, uh, a link to download a checklist, some kind of actionable takeaway from your session uh, one of his almost rules is forget the slides. Like we don't want a bunch of PowerPoint slides. I'm sure people are going to have some, um, but it's not about that. It's, it's a, it's about getting something out of each session that you can apply. I didn't even look to see if you could get CPEs from this. I think a, a motivator for a lot of us to attend trainings is to get the CPEs. I don't even know if you get CPEs for this, but I highly recommend checking it out. Um, if nothing else, get some of those, the, the free sessions and go into those. I don't even care if they're CPEs or not. I'm going to attend. All right. One of the other resources that Alex mentioned is, is called the purple book. It's, it's actually called the psychology of intelligence analysis. It's a source from the CIA, uh, amongst the, the, the fans of the book though, it's called the purple book. It took me like 10 minutes to, to, to find that resource. So somebody please check that out. We also talk about heat maps and risk matrices. And if you're familiar with Alex's work at all, you'll know he is very much against them, uh, for scientific reasons. I believe he says that scientifically they've been proven to cause more harm than good, which usually is where people, um, kind of get pissed off at Alex, but it's backed by science. So um, I think it's worth checking out. So there's two that he mentions, uh, two blogs of his. One, the risk of using risk matrices, and the other is called finally an alternative to risk matrices. All right, here we go. I'm, um, I'm the head of operational investment risk and insurance at uh, top five global fertilizer company and uh, the largest coal company in Russia. And um, I'm the author of a blog called Risk Academy, which is one of the most popular blogs on risk in the world. And um, I run every year Risk Awareness Week, which became one of the biggest risk conference conferences uh, in the world with um, close to 5,000 participants. And I wrote the book um, and made it available for free. And if you Google free risk management book, it's number one. And I'm really into sharing knowledge and bringing kind of best ideas from all the different world speakers and just sharing with everyone and making everything available for free most of the time. Um, outside of work, what are you into? Hobbies, general interests? No, just risk management. All day, every day. I, 
Yeah, I, I use risk management in, in, in my day-to-day -day life for investment and decision-making, and it's just it's super fun. Nice. Um, there's a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And it's yeah. about how to create habits and how to set yourself up to put a habit into place and actually, you know, make it a habit. And an audit friend of mine was talking about it. And I was like, he never uses the word controls in there, but he effectively sets up controls uh, to make sure that you like hit your habit. And so I, I tend to uh, do that also. I'm, I'm maybe looking forward to the day that I get pulled over by a cop going a little too fast in an area and going, look, I'm in audit and the risk of, you know, me hitting a citizen or, you know, whatever, like risk assessing the situation right there and going, it, it's really not that high. So, I, I, you know, if you could apply your, your judgment. I like we, would love for you to do that because <laughs> I, I've, I've done it many times, not with police officers, but with um, rental car people and uh, good, good luck with that. You will be amazed at just how ignorant and uneducated in the terms of risk people are. Yeah. They, they, they just don't care. They don't, I mean, I've, uh, I've had calls with, um, you know, some of the largest bankers who should be understanding risk. Yeah. And they were just asking for things that were so unreasonable um, because they were trying to mitigate the risk, which has like the probability of, you know, once in a lifetime um, and they were asking for completely unreasonable control for such a minuscule, mm -hmm. uh, minuscule risk. And all my, you know, my, my main mar argument was you, you're trying to mitigate uh, once in a lifetime risk, probably not even our lifetime, but, you know, many generations after. And uh, you, you're trying to force companies to implement control, which is just beyond reasonable for something that is completely insignificant. Um, they didn't care. Do you have, uh, have you ever done that successfully? I guess with my wife. <laughs> nice. And relatives. Yeah. But it, what I'm trying to say is that risk conversation requires a certain level of intelligence and some sort of background understanding. Um, the chances that a police officer would understand even the words you're saying or the meaning of the words and not fall into one of a co one of many cognitive biases and will not you know, take it aggressively are close to zero. But this is something that we talk, you know, I talk with my wife often is that in the first few seconds, you have to kind of judge the intelligence of the person in front of you. And if it's like, if it's a dummy, then you have to go emotional. Mm -hmm. If it's not a dummy, then you can go logical and calculative. Well, there's like no point talking, you know, talking risk to somebody who is just completely beyond understanding well, what's a commonly held belief in the profession that you passionately disagree with uh, that, that i mean that that is a wonderful question uh one of the one of the uh, uh, there are so many because mm. uh, i'm I, i'm quite famous for being contrarian in, in in the risk profession and i pretty much disagree with everything you can find in a risk management standard or guideline or any book with with ERM and its title, I pretty much guarantee to disagree with 99% of it. Mm. And, and uh, one of the biggest disagreement passions of mine is ERM, the whole concept of ERM. Uh, I find it uh, just beyond ridiculous. 
and uh, complete ignorance of the basic kind of foundational science and probability theory, decision science and neuroeconomics. Uh, the idea that we can cre create a unified methodology to aggregate different risks together uh, is just beyond insane. Mm. Uh, not only is bad risk management because it loses all this important detail that helps us make decisions and mitigate risks, uh, but it's also mathematical nonsense m most of the time. I mean, so certain risks can be aggregated, but you know, most risks are just, it, it's complete nonsense to aggregate them. And uh, um, that, I think I'm very passionately against this idea that uh, uh, consultants and regulators are pushing that there should be some sort of system for risk management, some sort of uh, overarching framework. Um, I, for example, have made a specific effort in the companies where I work to not have a framework for risk management because risk management for procurement decision is a completely different beast from risk management for commercial credit uh, or um, maintenance decisions or investment projects. There are basically you know, dozens of risk management in different types of decisions within the organization. And uh, to pretend that there is some sort of methodology that can aggregate it is, in my mind, is absolute insanity. And if you, and if you start digging deeper and look into the actual methodology, the actual math that all those ERM proponents are proposing is that you would realize that most of the time it's just kind of qualitative um, heat maps or some alternative, uh, you know, you know, basically marketing nonsense that has absolutely no foundation in, in, in real science. And not only doesn't add value to the business, but has actually been scientifically proven to uh, reduce value and actually bring more um, negativity to the decision making. So um, beyond me, why we're still pretending that there's ERM. For the 99% of folks that maybe disagree with that, what would what would you say to them? Rather, maybe a better way to put it is what resources would you point them to to get their thinking to align more with yours? Um, again, good question, because for everything that I say, there's a textbook or a book or a scientific paper that has been published at least 10 years ago. And some of the, some of the theories are like 100 years old. And it is absolutely critical for the people in the risk community to first understand it. You know, as one of my past CFOs said, never play poker with somebody who didn't read the book by this famous you know, poker strategist because they just, you know, they're just making random kind of guesses and sometimes they're lucky and then they forget when they're not lucky and then they have this uh, euphoria feeling that they've done something well. And this is, I think, the, the feeling that majority of risk managers have is that they're just doing random things. Most of the things that have been proven to not work, but then they have selective memory and then they, and, and plus they never backtest their methodologies anyway. Um, because you know, good luck backtesting your heat map. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they never know just how much damage they actually do to their businesses because nobody, you know, they, I think the only savior for majority of the risk managers uh, who use ARM thinking is that the internal auditors are as unqualified as they are and they've never backtested their methodology and they never caught, they, caught them by the arm and said like, what are you doing? This is nonsense. 
Um, so, so anyway, answering your question, Google best risk management books, uh, those three words, because I've written an article, and again, it's number one in, in, in Google search, uh, I think anywhere in the world, and, and I've listed 16 uh, books, and I've broken it down into different concepts. First, you have to understand probability theory and the kind of the math behind risk. You need to understand, well, how do you make sense of uncertainty? You know, for example, risk is not a single point, it's a distribution. Um, it could be a discrete distribution, it could be a continuous distribution, but that, that point alone makes any heat map on the planet complete you know, garbage mm -hmm. because it has single points. It estimates risk as a single point at the cross-reference of likelihood and consequence, which is just insane. I mean, this is like year seven math. Um, risk is always a distribution of uncertainty. It's either uncertainty around some sort of assumption uh, or it just has its own risk profile, which is also a distribution. And uh, so there are books dedicated to kind of to the math side. Then there are books dedicated to the psychology side. There's you know, Google risk perception. Risk perception, I mean, it has risk in the title. That's the field of study, which has two noble prizes in economics in 2002 and 2018, I think, uh, by Kahneman, uh, Vernon Smith, and Taller, Richard Taller. Two bloody prizes, Nobel, uh, Nobel Economic Prizes. Um, sorry, Nobel Prizes in economics. Uh, in, insane. And all of their research points to the fact that humans are not very good at perceiving risk and uncertainty when making decisions. And again, they, they, they've published both of those people, uh, they've published books and it's a must read for risk managers to understand what's the difference between system one thinking and system two thinking, why many executives and many relatives in our families make decisions completely ignoring risks, not because they're bad people, but because this is the way evolution builds our brain. And, um, and then there's the kind of the third aspect of risk management uh, called decision science. And there are textbooks and very kind of popular light reading books on decision quality. Again, research by Stanford and Harvard uh, professors been published for probably more than a decade now. Um, these three collective studies on probability theory, decision science and neuroeconomics, these collective studies kind of gives you so many compelling evidence to throw out ERM as just a bad idea uh, and then there are people uh, who have been very helpful in trying to aggregate it. For example, Douglas Hubbard, uh, one of the speakers at the past Risk Awareness Week, one of the speakers, you know, his workshop is still available for free online. You know, go on 2020riskawarenessweek.com uh, and, and you know, listen to him talk about this. He wrote a book uh, 11 years ago. He published his second edition of the same book, uh, last year called Why Risk Management is Broken and How to Fix It. And what he's done is he's collated all of those different fields of study, trying to put it together and explain, well, the math is wrong in ERM, uh, the psychology is missing, and uh, it's not linked to decision-making. So there are, there are books like that as well. And it's also in the same article of 16 best, you know, just Google best risk management books. And those are there. Um, and there are some uh, some you know free publications as well. Uh, for example, CIA 
has published a primer on decision-making. You know, CIA is one of the better resources on risk-based decision-making because they, whenever they make, whenever they're analysts, I'm not talking about you know, people who run with guns, mm. but analysts who sit in the basement of Pentagon, whenever they make decisions under uncertainty, the cost is usually so high. And that's why they're very, very serious about proper risk management. Uh, they're much better at risk management than 99% of the risk managers on the planet. Uh, and their literature is free. Their book on cognitive biases is called The Purple Book, one of the best textbooks on cognitive biases and risk perception ever. They have their own you know, PhD researchers. And they, they primer on uh, decision tools. Uh, I think it's called uh, CIA Primer on Decision Making. It is, again, free and an amazing summary of the techniques like assumption check and A and B, uh, red team, you know, blue team, the, the techniques that we use in risk management uh, every day. So amazing resources, and there are so many of them. Uh, I think the key final advice to answer your question, that was a very long answer, um, but the final answer is whenever you see the word ERM in the title, you can, you're pretty much guaranteed it's not going to be good as in like, it's going to be a good read, mm -hmm. but it, it is not scientific. It's not based on any actual uh, validated research and uh, it will do more damage to your company than, than, than good. Yeah. I think that might be the pro tip of the episode so far. So I appreciate that. And you mentioned internal audit. This is the internal audit podcast um, or rather the audit podcast. And so what, from your perspective, what's the biggest problem you see internal audit facing right now? And then how can it be fixed? Um, well, I, I, I don't know enough about internal audit to, um, to summarize the, you know, what's, what's the biggest problem is I can only talk about the risk management aspect. Sure. And I, I think it's kind of in my overall experience of 16 years in five different countries, the, the general rule is internal auditors are clueless about risk management. They, they, they think risk management is what ISO 31000 or COSA ERM says, uh, which by the way, both of those documents have nothing to do with risk management. ISO 31000 or COSA ERM, they're the equivalents of marketing brochures that you would find in the doctor's waiting room. You would not want to become a doctor by studying the marketing brochures that you see in the waiting room. You want to become a doctor by studying biology, uh, chemistry, and uh, all the accompanying, uh, accompanying subjects. ISO and COISO of uh, some of the research that was available to the authors and the authors didn't even do such a good job. They didn't even find the right research. So it's those, you know, those documents have nothing to do with actual uh, useful uh, risk management. And, and that's, the, that's the, I think one of the biggest troubles I see is that internal auditors take it as gospel and they think that's it, that's the risk management. Um, you know, build, build a risk profile or a risk register, have risk owners, have risk mitigation action plans and reports. And uh, that, that's your kind of, that, that's your risk management. So the one they, A, come to audit risk management, they ask the, some of the most wasteful questions ever, because I mean, they ask for where, where's your risk policy? I mean, majority of the time, no one cares because it's not the document that impacts how companies make decisions. Mm -hmm. um, then they ask, where's your risk report or risk register? Those two documents, first of all, they're complete nonsense. And second, they have nothing to do with how the company actually manages risk uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. 
Uh, and uh, the second trouble is when internal auditors are trying to apply the risk management to their own trade because they need to prioritize their audits. Right. And then within the audit, they need to prioritize the testing procedures. They need to figure out what controls are they going to test. Yep. Well, they, they do both of those things completely wrong because they apply the same incorrect risk management to their own work. And um, I am, you know, I am afraid that many audits are focusing on the most insignificant risks within the scope of the audit because they're just completely applying the wrong methodology. They're basically applying the wrong methodology to finding the wrong risks and then focusing their efforts, their limited resources on, on the wrong risk. Um, we've, we've had a couple of interactions with uh, different internal audit teams in, in the past companies and currently. And whenever we did our risk analysis, we pretty much kind of did not, well, we, we did not confirm the hypothesis that the internal audit team had when they were going into the audit. They were going into the audit with the hypothesis that you know, certain so are high risk areas. And then we would do the calculation and show, well, no, there's no evidence that these are the high risk areas. There must be something else. And then something else turned out to be much you know, five times greater risk than they anticipated. So they would have ended up looking at the completely wrong, uh, wrong, wrong part of the business process, essentially. So, and you know, the kind of the coming out on the back of that is many risk managers came from internal audit perspective. And that is just the worst because um, you, you, as a general rule, you really cannot work in risk unless you have a background in mathematics or statistics or econometrics or something mathematical. Mm. Um, you, know, you cannot make sense of uncertainty without understanding the kind of the nature of distributions and how you quantify uncertainty. Something that uh, probability theory had you know, discovered and described for over 500 years. Without that background, just having a general understanding of ISO 31000 makes you a horrible risk management risk manager, and then you kind of you go go around and you present at conferences and you, right. you for some reason live in this parallel universe. So the, the and the second part of that question was how do we fix that? Is it refer to the resources that you mentioned earlier, or, or are there other actionable concrete steps that can be taken? Because we don't have, um, everybody's not going to have a, a stats background, the mathematical background that you're talking about. It's just unrealistic to think that we could have that. So what can we do about it? So, well, we are doing two things. In certain countries, and I'm, I'm amazed why the Institute, the Global Institute of Internal Auditors doesn't do it. Uh, but in certain countries, we um, do risk management sessions within the annual Internal Audit Institute curriculum. So within certain countries, uh, the Institute of Internal Auditors invites actual risk managers to tell internal auditors how to apply risk-based decision-making to their audit planning. And that's, that's a start. So they first need to understand that building a heat map of a business process or building a heat map of a subsidiary is not going to give you the right priorities for the audit planning. And it doesn't matter how much you try, um, you know, heat maps have been scientifically proven to be worse than useless. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you obviously don't have to believe me because you can Google the actual scientific research. The paper is called The Risk of Using Risk Matrices. It's done on, uh, I think, 17 or 18 different risk matrix methodologies. 
um, primarily in the oil and gas sector, but it makes absolutely no difference because any risk matrix methodology, apart from a super complex, obscure ones that just for fun, again, at the Risk Awareness Week last time, we did uh, some of the kind of um, difficult mathematical ones that NASA may use. Um, and even then you can uh, do you know, five times better within, with Monte Carlo in, in, ten ta- in, in kind of in one tenth of a time. So it, it makes absolutely no sense building super complex heat maps as opposed to you can just use Monte Carlo and, and, and get through it. Uh, and so step number one, encourage your local chapter of Institute of Internal Auditors or whatever your other association for, inter- for internal or external auditors is, uh, invite risk managers to speak about it because we've been doing like the, for us this is like old knowledge we've been doing this for decades mm-hmm. and you know, all the uh, uh, I'm not saying decades because I'm young all the people have been doing it for like you know, many decades they I had speakers at the risk awareness week that have been applying proper risk analysis since like 60s or 70s and um, that, that's one thing ask your local chapter to invite um, uh, invite risk managers to speak and kind of give you this fresh perspective. It's fresh for the audit profession. It's old news for the risk profession. And then the second thing is uh, internal auditors, please, please, please don't do your own risk assessments. Ask risk managers within the company, you know, and uh, if you don't trust them, pay an external provider, you know, basically get someone to audit the risk management before you start trusting them. Obviously, you, you won't be able to audit them yourself, but you can invite actual consultants, you know, risk managers from outside. And this, this is what you know, good audit teams do. Whenever they have a highly technical audit and risk management is a super technical audit, it's highly mathematical, very complex on how models are, are actually built. Whenever you have a highly technical audit, if you don't have the competency within the team, you get somebody from outside, you, you just outsource it. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, obviously, you don't outsource it to Big Four because Big Four has zero knowledge on uh, uh, on proper risk management, uh, just like the the institutes of internal auditors. Um, you audit it once, and you get you you either confirm or deny that you can trust the methodology. But once you can trust the methodology, use the risk management mm-hmm. uh, risk analysis for your. Uh, for your audit planning, because it's a completely different priorities. Uh, but again, if your risk managers are using heat maps, um, you know, ring, you know, red, red flags, uh, ring bells, that, that's just alarm bells uh, going off everywhere. Uh, you know, a heat map is a pretty much sure sign that risk management doesn't exist within the organization. You mentioned don't use a big four. Is there an organization, a company? Uh, vendors that you would recommend, hey, I, I, I need somebody to come audit this for me. Who is it that you would recommend? It obviously depends on the market. And this is what I've discovered in our market, in, in the European and the Russian market. Um, it, it is usually a almost like a lone wolf mm. or a very small boutique firm yep. that has done it somewhere many, many times. For example, I have a huge issue with brokers and risk engineers. Uh, we operate... Um, major chemical plants all over the country. And I need somebody who I can trust and somebody who understands risk to go out and scope and find risks within each each of the plants. Super difficult job. And I tried every large broker on the planet. And it's, it's, I I didn't even try before because even brokers 
brokers have risk engineers, so they're kind of a level above your normal big four. Big four mm -hmm. doesn't doesn't have that technical competency mm -hmm. most of the time, unless it just by complete coincidence happens that some sort of lone wolf joined yeah. the consulting firm and, and is kind of working there and he has all these, you know, 60 years or 40 years of baggage and experience uh, with him. So anyway, we, we ended up just hiring literally individuals, like risk engineers who have been doing this for decades, who are very knowledgeable in the particular industry. For example, you know, either it's a chemical plant or it's a mining uh, operation that they're specifically knowledgeable in this area. And um, you know, Australia, South Africa, they, they're kind of they're lucky, for example, because they have uh, amazing mining uh, backgrounds. So there are probably companies that are exceptionally well at uh, picking up and understanding those risks. Um, so no, I have no idea what the companies are that do it. Uh, and it takes quite a lot of effort to find somebody who gets it and uh, who you can trust to invite and you know, audit the risk management. And you know that they would, after the audit, they would give you the actual findings and the actual recommendation and not something that will help you align with ISO 31000 because who cares? Yeah, that's it's solid advice. The other thing I want to ask you is what question should the audit committee chair be asking audit leadership? And, and, and risk leadership. Just And risk leadership. To, to bring back, and this is, I mean, this is also very, very good because whenever you want to audit or understand whether risk management is effective or not, it it is consisting of kind of, of two blocks, two components. And one is a smaller component and the other one is huge. The smaller component is, are your methodologies and the math and the models, are they solid, are they sound? And, uh, you know, do you have, you know, some policies in place that the regulators expect. Do, do you have kind of this, you know, the, 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 the paperwork around risk management? And that's a small part. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that's what most of the auditors look at and they think that's it. But the 90% of the effort and the 90% of the work is how does the company plan, make decisions, invest, make choices and assess performance? This is the this is the real question. Is you know, you can have the best framework or the best policy on the planet, but if your business plan is based on a single scenario or a couple of scenarios that are disconnected from your actual risk profile, and you don't stress test the assumptions, and you don't show how those assumptions are correlated and how they how the uncertainty around those assumptions affects the probability of achieving your business plan, uh, or you don't. Uh, do risk analysis when you're making a multi-million dollar investment decision and you don't stress test that, that financial model and you don't test that actually there is a 90% probability that the NPV of the project will be negative because there's so much uncertainty and we need to mitigate it. Uh, or if you assess performance based on you know, number of incidents or uh, tons of product produced without adjusting it for the risk, for example, you know, you may produce a lot of the product, but if you actually increased your risk exposure significantly to do that, for example, if you've neglected safety to produce that amount of uh, uh, product, then it's a bad performance. You know, a lot doesn't mean it's good. A lot at what cost is always the question that we ask. You know, what, how does risk to the, to the quantity compares? You know, we've made a lot of money, 
But is that because the risk was ridiculous or is that because we've managed the risk well and we actually made a lot of money? And this is, these are the questions that the audit committee chair should be asking. What is the probability? What are the chances of success? What's the probability of us achieving our business plan? What are some of the most risky assumptions? What's the uncertainty around assumptions? Where, where is our biggest risk exposure within the business plan? What may prevent us from achieving the business plan? Uh, how are important decisions being made? Are we considering, are we, be, are we making the risk transparent when making important decisions uh, within the business, you know, strategic decisions, investment decisions? And uh, finally, the performance, is that risk adjusted? Are we saying that we've done well after we've taken into account the increased or decreased risk exposure? Because for example, for me, uh, you know, I, I'm also responsible for insurance. And sometimes um, my cost of insurance this year may be higher than it was last year. But that doesn't mean I've done my job badly because what this could actually mean is that we used to cover this much risk. Now we're covering mm -hmm. this much risk right. and the cost only increased by a margin. Mm -hmm. So we're actually doing much, much better. Our, uh, our tariff has uh, decreased significantly, but the total cost of insurance may have increased. It didn't happen to me, by the way. Every single line of insurance uh, we've managed by being transparent with the market and by calculating our own risk profile and showing to the market that we understand our risk profile and this is how much this risk profile should cost. We actually managed to reduce our insurance premiums without reducing the limits or yeah. increasing the deductibles by millions of dollars. Uh, we, uh, I think, saved just this year, we saved the overall budget for the risk management function for the next 10 years, which means our salaries and our bonuses and all the admin costs are covered. Yeah. And then you know, everything else we do is kind of is a nice, nice bonus for the, for the, for the shareholder. Um, so so those, are the, those are the real questions is keeping in mind that there's the 10% on the paperwork of risk management and making sure that the, the, the methodologies are solid. And then the 90% is how does company plan, manage performance and make decisions. And if that is, if there's evidence that this is done risk-based or is you know, taking into account risk, then that, that's kind of, that's a start of a good conversation about you know, risk management being effective. So I, I, I would encourage anyone sitting on the, at the audit committee to talk about probability of success, risk-adjusted performance, and how, how is risk considered when making a significant decision? Similar to that question, what should audit or risk management uh, leadership be asking their staff? Um, that, that is also a good question. I've, um, I've, been, I've, been thinking, I've been thinking a lot about that. Um, probably one of the one of the obvious ones is to continue to develop your own skills and kind of have interest in those areas because there's there are fundamental scientists sciences the probability theory the decision science the neuroscience um, you know neuroeconomics and uh, kind of push people to learn a little bit more from one of the fields that they don't understand. Uh, if they're um, purely cultural person, then you know, slowly bring them to the mathematical side mm -hmm. so they at least appreciate it. If they're just mathematical, then um, you know I, I I bought Kahneman's book and I forced every single employee in my team to read it. 
And every week we would check whether they've read the next chapter and they would describe to me the summary of that, of that chapter. And that there are you know, literally any book uh, on that list, you know, 16 best risk management books uh, um, that, that I've published, any book on that, like that's, that, that's your kind of reading club. So to me, to me that's, uh, that, that's one thing that I always encourage. And the second thing is kind of cross-pollination, um, which may be a little bit difficult to kind of to, to grasp uh, at the moment. But what I'm trying to say to my team every time is whenever we've done some sort of risk analysis, we need to figure out at least three or four different ways how we're going to use it. So, for example, we've done a risk analysis for an investment project, mm -hmm. and uh, that risk analysis confirmed that this project is stable and it's actually a relatively low risk compared to the previous project that we've done. So we've parked that risk analysis. And then a couple of months later, this project moved to the next stage and the construction uh, started. And as part of the construction, we have to insure it. And then we took this risk profile and we reused it for communicating with the insurance market. And we said, well, we've already done the risk analysis and now we can use it for, for the conversation with the insurance markets. But then also this project has to be financed through external financing. So we've took this risk analysis and we showed it to the banks and said, well, we've done the risk analysis. You have some hypothesis. For example, you, you're concerned that this project may not be stable if the prices go down by 20%. We said, well, we've already tested that. That was part of our initial risk analysis. We've tested what happens to the project if the prices go down by 20%, what happens if the foreign exchange goes up by 20%. And you know, I'm obviously making up numbers. Sure. It was it was a little bit more sophisticated and mathematical than that. Uh, but we've already kind of done this risk analysis, and we've reused it with banks, we've reused it with rating agencies, we've reused it with insurance companies, and we'll probably reuse it again for something uh, for something else. And by the way, I immediately shared it with the internal audit team, and they can use it for their audit uh, or, or audit planning. So the second thing that I always ask is have a think about how you're going to reuse something that you've done. Because to do risk analysis once and just forget about it is such a waste mm -hmm. uh, of time. And, um, and the third is we use this model for training purposes. So we would like show examples. We would turn it into like video training and we would show examples based on that model that we've done to like other departments saying like, if you wanted to do risk analysis, well, this is how you would do it. These are the, uh, and then we also you know, plugged some of the distributions from the risk analysis and uh, we put it in the library and then we use this library for the next investment uh, risk analysis. So that's, uh, I think, six different uses of one piece of work uh, th that we've done. We have big dreams for making this much more streamlined and, and truly creating a library of risk uh, <coughs> distributions, uh, of risk distribution so we can reuse Okay. And I think the kind of the future after that is compare those distribution of risk libraries uh, with different other companies and uh, you know kind of spread the the value or the the goodness w w with other companies in the market. We, I think, in fact, we just as I was on the way to to this um, to this podcast, we've been chatting. With our local risk community. By the way, we have a we have a WhatsApp group with the local risk community with like 150 senior risk managers from like most large companies in the country. 
And um, we've, we've been chatting about you know, creating like a list of sources for, uh, for the risk data, um, which uh, I have kind of mixed feelings about, but then we also talked about, well, how do we create distribution libraries for modeling risks in the future? And you know, just not, not doing double or triple the work because yeah. you know, there are few risks that almost every company models and uh, I think there's a good opportunity there to create some sort of template library for that. All right, so let's say you come back on the show a year from now, what we'll be talking about and you can't answer, we're gonna be talking about the same things that we've always talked about, the same issues within risk management that we've always talked about. You can't answer that that way. Um, but I so want to, because I've been saying exactly the same thing for the last seven years, or, or eight even, I think now, now I think it's eight, exactly the same thing. I mean, I've, uh, out of frustration, I started Risk Academy blog, um, which is you know, one of the popular blogs or, or on risk management in English. And I think my first article in 2013 was a risk management used to be a science, then it became an art. Now it's just bullshit. <laughs> that, that was that, that was the title of my, and yeah, it's been read like th thousands and yeah. thousands and thousands and thousands of um, times ever since. Um, so yeah, some things don't change, but um, in, in reality, I mean, you know, that I'm obviously, uh, I'm just joking, but in reality, what I wanted to talk about in the ne you know, next year is how we found a solution to, to make risk-based decision-making simpler. Mm -hmm. uh, because at the moment, it's uh, you know, everything I talk about. And you know, for example, you know, I'm saying there are like 150 risk managers in this WhatsApp group. I have a separate group for quantitative risk managers and there are like five people. <laughs> Maybe I'm exaggerating, there are eight. Yeah. And um, that, that's where we, where, where we discuss like real risk management. And in the big group, we just discuss you know, ISO type risk management. And um, the, the reality is risk management is super complex yeah. and is completely inaccessible for the majority of the risk profession or the audit profession for that matter. And I think well, what my dream is or my hope is, and this is why I've created Risk Awareness Week. And the, you know, the next one is in October, 2021.riskawarenessweek.com. Um, this is what I hope is that we actually came up with something some sort of uh, templates or models or simplified calculators that, that just make it a little bit more accessible and you don't have to be this you know, math genius to understand uh, what, what we're talking about or created libraries where you can just plug and play and you have a problem and there's kind of a almost a ready baked solution for that problem in risk and you can you know, press a couple of buttons and it gives you an answer which is not ideal because without proper you know, quantitative risk analysis, you will never get a good, good, you know, very good answer. But it gives you an answer which is so much better than your last year's heat map. Um, luckily, that's not difficult. Nice. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think making it simple. It's it's something we've talked about a couple of times on the the show. Typically, when it comes to software and how software can be difficult, and you know, or go to a website and I want to buy your thing, but there's not a big button that says buy my thing, and I have to hunt and peck to find it. Like just make it easy. Um, yeah, I think that would be a huge game changer. And like you said, it might not be perfect or like the best, but it's certainly going to be better than a heat map. One of my favorite things is to see on on LinkedIn is to see somebody write a blog post or LinkedIn article about heat maps. And then when I see like a bunch of comments in there, 
I know that you're in there talking to them. Yeah. And so I, I can't remember. I mean, this was like maybe two years ago. I mean, and just like the back and forth and then scrolling through and just reading all that was, uh, was really good. I, I wish I could go back and like find that I would post it in the show notes so people could refer back to it. But if anybody sees on LinkedIn, a, um, Alex talk about heat maps, like just save that conversation, give it a couple days and come back. It's, it's a really good read. Like I, I, I it's entertaining and educational at the same time. Uh, so I always enjoy those. I have I have two quick things on that. Uh, first, I have uh, an article which is very very popular, and it's called "Finally!" Uh, explanation mark. Uh, we have uh, I think the alternative to heat maps, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's actually a very decent article because it it gives a small spill into why risk heat maps are bad, but then it actually gives you like seven or eight alternatives, which are so much better. Uh, so and we've we've known the we've known the better alternative for like decades. So it's it's a good summary. And um, the second uh, comment. So thank you on uh, on reading the comments. But here's here's a, here's a good indication that not all is lost in the risk profession. Uh, two years ago, there were so many articles on heat maps, and all of the comments were well done. What a great heat map! You're a champion. Now. Try doing a post on a heat map, you will be just destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> because there are so many people who get it finally, and somehow we just found one another. And um, yeah, we destroy articles on heat maps like once a week at least. Yeah, it's fun. It's it's a good read. I know there was somebody that posted one that was like joking about it. And so if you just read the headline, which a lot of people do. David Vose. David Vose. Who's how, how a good you, friend. Can you spell that? I, I would like to maybe include that as a link. David and his last name is V O S E. Okay. That might be the one that I was talking about where people just lit it up and there was people that you would see the headline, see heat map and go, Oh, I love this. And then if you read it, you could tell, uh, was, yeah, very sarcastic in, in what was said. And so that one, that's the one that I was thinking of. So I might try to dig yeah, that up and, and put I it think in. It had like a thousand likes or something. Like it was, it was, it was a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was fantastic. Well, all right. So I know we talked about a lot of resources. Um, I know you have the um, risk, what is it? risk Aware. awareness week? Uh, Cause it's raw, right? R A W risk awareness week, 2021 yeah. coming up. Um, is there anything else that, that you want to mention that you want to point some folks to resource wise, that would be really helpful or actually, you know what, can you just talk about what that conference is, what it's about, some of the folks that are going to be there. So the, Risk Awareness Week, and um, it's uh, Risk Awareness Week 2021, and this will be the fifth time I'm doing uh, this annual conference. And uh, it's a kind of it's a, it's a childbirth of two things. I hated risk management conferences because majority of the topics discussed was wishful thinking, marketing uh, speeches, and risk management one. Mm-hmm. I have this article on risk management one versus risk management two. And the idea is generally risk management one is whatever the standards tell you and risk management two is whatever the science tells you. Mm-hmm. And risk management one is basically window dressing and a waste of time. And risk management two is like the actual you know, decision-making, risk-based decision-making. These are the 10%, 90% that I talked about uh, in, when I was uh, talking about the audit committee chair. Uh, risk management one, 10%. 90% is risk management too. So I hated risk management conference so passionately and I hated to travel. I had to travel to Dubai, to US, to Canada, to different conferences. It was just a pain. 
So childbirth, fully online and no risk management one. Just pure risk management to just the science, uh, proven, back-tested, validated models, examples of people actually doing risk management for real organizations. And most of the most of the speakers are not risk managers. They are you know, NASA scientists, NASA engineers, military, uh, ex-military analysts, um, and other senior managers within the business that apply the kind of science of risk management to make better life and corporate uh, corporate decisions. And so that, that kind of, that was born. I finally found a platform where I can kind of pull all my good friends and the, the speakers that I respect. Mm-hmm. Um, those are you know, very few and rare that I would respect in the profession. And uh, we've been doing this for, for so many years. This is the fifth one. And uh, this year, the theme is green because you know, it's hyped up. So day one is all about uh, using risk management too in governance. Day, uh, day one, that's the risk management and governance. Uh, day two is uh, risk management in climate and environmental. And uh, people literally show you in Excel or other modeling software how they would build a model to solve a business problem. So mm-hmm. they don't talk about stuff. It's, it's not people talking about stuff and you know, their aspirational ideas and uh, how we need to you know, save a planet and how we need to uh, care about environment. It's people showing you how they've calculated the environmental risks and use that to make a lot of money for their businesses. Day three is uh, risk psychology. So like actual neuroscientists telling us how the brain works and how cognitive biases affect our risk perception and why we ignore um, risks when we make decisions or how we use different experts to improve and calibrate our quantitative risk analysis, risk assessments. Uh, Day four is project management. So that's how you model and quantify and simulate risks that affect your schedules and your budgets when you build like multi-billion dollar and multi-million dollar construction projects. And uh, day five is uh, risk-based in decision-making, how you actually build models, simple models to highly complex models to make uh, better decisions. And uh, some of the speakers you may know, Norman Marks has been the speaker for every single year, uh, Doug Hubbard, the author of the book, Why Risk Management is Broken and How to Fix It, or the author of the book, How to Quantify Everything. Uh, some of the you know, most influential books in the risk profession. Uh, is there Sam Savage, the author of Law of Averages, and uh, the son, and, you know, he's a Stanford professor, and he's the son of one of the most famous statisticians on the planet. Um, he is a, a, he's hugely influential in simplifying and making risk analysis, quantitative risk analysis accessible through his uh, uh, tools and methodologies and his, and his non-for-profit organizations. And um, the uh, um, creators of uh, uh, banking risk management methodologies, as well as like ex-risk managers of Lego and MySQL and many, many other organizations, my key kind of question for, for them. And, and NASA engineers, of course, uh, my key, I, I keep trying to pull CIA operatives, uh, but I haven't you know, been able to do that just yet next yeah. year. Nice. Um, 
so it's like it's the whole package. And uh, my only ask to the speakers is that don't talk, don't use slides, <clears throat> open up your model, show, like explain what the problem is, explain what you, uh, how you can solve this problem and uh, then make that model downloadable for people to use or make some sort of checklist or something downloadable for the people to use because the techniques and you know for example one of the workshops will be should you buy an umbrella or should you not buy an umbrella but it actually uses a stochastic decision tree uh, with the tornado diagram which is exactly the same methodology that you would apply to a multi-billion dollar oil and gas project mm -hmm. and we just show it in a very simple example uh, or another speaker from, uh, uh, from uh, Rail Canada uh, is showing how to kill James Bond, but he's actually showing a Bayesian uh, decision tree uh, with, again, with stochastic risk analysis, which is exactly the same technique you would use for like a multi-billion dollar investment project or an infrastructure project, but he's just presenting it kind of in a very simple, easy, easy to understand way. Uh, so that, that kind of, that, that's, uh, as you can tell, I'm quite passionate about uh, because I'm trying to bring those techniques that a small percentage of the risk community is using every single day. I, 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 I'm doing two workshops. I'm doing a workshop how we literally saved um, close to $10 million in, in insurance premiums without reducing the limits or increasing the deductibles by just better understanding our own risk profiles. And I'm doing another workshop on how we use stochastic decision trees to quantify environmental risks, water pollution, air pollution. Uh, we've, we've built models for all those risks and you can, you can just take them and use them. You don't have to create a, a, a bicycle, you know, reinvent the bicycle because the models, you have to adjust it for local regulation. But other than that, uh, the, the models for quantifying environmental risks are super simple. Um, you know, it's it's a big task to find the statistics, but the the math behind it is super simple, and I'm 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 just I'm surprised not why not everybody is is doing that. So it's a, it's an exciting conference. There are like every year, there are uh, free options. You can participate for free and watch some of the workshops uh, for free. So you know it's 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 open it's open to everyone. And last year we had, I think, 4,800 participants. So this year I'm kind of hoping we will break the 5,000 participants uh, uh, mark. It's, it's, it's a pretty big, cool event. Yeah, I, I will definitely spread the word. It sounds uh, incredible. It came across my um, screen, I guess, sometime last year. Um, and without really knowing, you know, without knowing full context of how, what everything was going on with it, which is one reason I wanted to ask you about it. Of course, like I signed up, I think for the free part, and then it came around and I went, ah, I got to do this other thing, but uh, I'm going to look after this block time off and make sure that, that I can attend some of that. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you please consider leaving a rating on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on right now? It really makes a difference in helping to convince hard to get guests to come on the show. I did it and it only took me 16 seconds to give myself a five-star rating. So it shouldn't take uh, too much longer than that. Thank you very much for listening.